Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This is our last uh, preach on our mission series. And so we've been looking at uh, the following kind of topics in the whole aspect of mission. Meals together, interceding for five people, sharing our story, serving practically, inviting people to meetings and then offering prayer. And now we come to the final one and it was the one that had the most debate because nobody could think of how could you use the letter N for anything. And I said to them, simple, it's never give up. And I can honestly say it went down not very well. I, they, uh, they was Colin, I'm sure we can do better than that. So they tried. Nobody could do better than that. And so they basically said, yours is the one to preach on it. So effectively, that's why I'm here. I haven't done any of the others because they all thought they were easier. <laughs> Left me with this one. But I want to kind of just reflect on one or two of the sermons <clears throat> in the last few weeks on this because you get an Andy Brownlee who really wasn't that enamoured by Never Give Up and then basically says to us, we need to keep praying for others. And realising he's got to use these words and he doesn't want to. (laughs) And these words are, pray for others and never give up. And so each one, as they preached, has suddenly realised that the words they thought were kind of just trying to fit in to the series are probably the key words. Uh, Nobody's actually rung me yet and said, Colin, I really appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying, that's all. The interesting thing about I'll never give up is... I mean, I feel embarrassed because I'm thinking, how many times have I given up? So that's, I kind of, first of all, I think I need to address that issue. (laughs) Never give up um, is is impossible because we're always giving up. But the reality is God never gives up. Right? Is we serve a God that never gives up. I was uh, thinking to myself, t- about 10 years ago, um, we had planted into Gorton, we'd done first foray into Fallowfield. I was on the leadership team of New Frontiers, about eight, 900 churches, and we were going through major change there, which I was helping on the leadership team through, and we were struggling to get any traction in Gorton, and really, I was getting very weary, and just really thinking, I don't think I've got that much energy left, and then we've just got a little dog. In fact, now that little dog is 35 kilo, so not quite as little now. Um, and uh, I, actually, I said to Mary, let's move to Glossop. Let's get a house 
just that looks on to the snake pass, those people who know that. And you know, we found a brand new, new build that kind of virtually backed onto the meadows that go. And I said, this is it. We'll get a train into Manchester every now and then. We can do both. This is kind of pre-retirement. And uh, so put our house on the market. Really, really kind of keen to do this. The state said, you'll get rid of this house quite quickly. I don't know, it was a year, long time. Kept the price coming down, every other house getting sold. I was nobody interested and <coughs> getting, lost the house that, we, were, no, the, that uh, we wanted to go for. And then Mary said to me, I think it was like in the October time, Colin, I think we're making the wrong decision. I think we should go into Levenshoom, which was a complete 180 degree turn, or Fallowfield, and actually be in the epicentre of what is happening. And I mean, this was kind of, if you want a U-turn, this was a screeching U-turn from kind of semi-retirement to right in the heart of, of stuff. And I, I just felt, okay, I think this is right. A couple of weeks later, we went to South Africa. We used to go every year and minister through South Africa up into Lesotho. And we were just on the border of Lesotho, and I get a phone call from the estate agent. And the estate agent said, Colin, I've got a cash buyer for your house, and you've got to move quick. The reality, it, within weeks, months, we had sold our house. We got a house in Levenshoom, and the house in Levenshoom had everything I wanted. South-facing, hence the suntan, <laughs> log burner, conservatory, no mortgage. Remarkable. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, I was really on the fringe of giving up. Just when we were like one plus a bit of a sight. God did not give up. He, he just didn't allow my house to get sold. Just ask, just wouldn't. And as soon as it was, as soon as we changed our mind, got back into the game, got back into his mission. And uh, actually, that year I was reflecting, now it was nothing to do with the move, because, and, and, that, and, and nothing to do with me, but I think everything to do with the move. I think we added 70 new people to TCM that next year. Not that we did anything, I just felt something in God. Do you know what I mean? It was like God saying, I'm never giving up with you. You might want to give up, but I'm not. Given up. And I, I feel like I want to start with this because I feel for many of us, we've given up many times. And we've got this mission series. And I know for me, I, I've given up praying for the five people I'm praying for now many times. Now I'm praying every day for them. And it's like I'm a new energy for them. And, uh, and it's like God has not given up. <laughs> I might have done. And so I kind of want to put this... I, almost, I say caveat, but it's like, I felt like when I start this sermon, I'll never give up. I'm going to lose everybody from get-go. <laughs> because they're going to say, okay, rule me out. But actually, I want to rule everybody in. Isaiah 40, 28 says this. Have you never heard, have you never understand the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. 
and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find, will find, will find, will find new strength. They will soar high on eagles' wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faith. That is the word of the Lord for each one of you today. (laughs) That is God's word. So I want to look with that as a context at this final um, part of uh, the mission series. And it's in there in Luke 15. And uh, I want to look at three motivators for not giving up. Jesus is there, it says, with, uh, in the New Living Translations, with notorious sinners. <laughs> in the NIV it says with sinners in, and it says notorious sinners. It's like the worst of the worst. Jesus is with. And uh, people are complaining, the people who think they're more religious, more godly, are complaining at Jesus and his disciples and saying, why is he with these notorious sinners? And Jesus then tells them three parables. We've had two of them read, and just for time's sake, uh, we missed out the third one, and that is the lost son. So I want to look at three aspects of that motivate us to keep going in the mission. The first is that actually people are lost. It says in the verse 3 of chapter 15, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Luke 15, 8, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. These whole little parables are about lostness. People who are lost. And then in 1522, it says, A father said to his servants after his son had gone away, We must celebrate. He was lost, but now he is found. It's interesting. You know, when I think of the word lost, I think of someone getting lost in a mountain. We, uh, when we got married, Mary and myself got a hire car, went on our I mean, took a one-way hire car, left it in the Lake District and stayed there three years. And... Um, which is not bad way of starting off, is it? And um, I, one of my best friends was in the mountain rescue. And he would often tell me about people that he was rescuing in the mountains there. And sometimes that's the way I conceive of people being lost. You know, it's, it's like in, in the now. Do you, you know what I mean? It's, and when we think of even what's happened through this epidemic that's going on, we think about people with mental health issues, people who... Um, I've been in hospitalised, some people died. You, the, the kind of lostness is in the here and now. It, it's, it's like present. And yet, basically, what Jesus is talking about is something eternal, something different. In fact, when Luke puts his gospel together, he basically puts this parable, and then in the next chapter, actually does uh, another parable on what being lost really is and uh, in verse 19 of chapter 16 it says there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and lived each day in luxury and at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores and Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man table and the dogs would come and lick his open sores finally the poor man died and was carried by his angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. And there, in torment, 
He saw Abraham in the distance with Lazarus to his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. When Jesus was talking about the lost, he was talking about those in eternal damnation, those in eternal punishment, those far away from the living God. William Booth said this, who founded the Salvation Army, if a person could spend five minutes in hell and return to this life, what would they be like? He said, I suggest that the urgency with which they would plead with the lost would be ferocious. It was like he wanted virtually all his captains, all his leaders, if he, if he could, to taste hell for a moment. Because the momentum and the uh, incentive to save the lost would be massive. In the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, who was a peer of Whitfield and Wesley, started preaching in New England, was pastoring a church, and one of his sermons was titled this, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And this is just a little bit of his sermon. They have deserved the fiery pit and are already sentenced to it. And God is dreadfully provoked. His anger is as great towards them as those that are actually suffering the execution of the fierceness of his wrath in hell. And they've done nothing in the least to appease or abate that anger. Neither is God in the least abound by any promise to hold them up for one moment. The devil is waiting for them. Hell is gaping for them. The flames gather and flash about them and would fain lay hold of them and swallow them up. The fire pent up in their own hearts is struggling to break out and they have no means within reach and there can be no security for them. Basically, as he preached that sermon, hundreds got saved. In fact, a revival swept all across New England. Whitfield, another of the great preachers, along with Wesley Brothers, preached powerfully. But he got hold of something, of the earnest nature of what lostness was. It wasn't lost in a mountainside where a helicopter can come and find you. This was dreadful. The wrath of God is against sin. You see, we, judgment will happen. Sin, in the end, will be judged. And so, our first point, when Jesus was this, these notorious sinners, is because he understood. He understood the consequences of their sin was eternity, without hope and without God in the world. Paul put it like this, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We don't often talk about hell. We don't often talk about the anger of God. We do talk about justice. 
We do talk about we want justice in this world. We do talk about that we want the poor to receive justice. We want those who oppress people to receive justice. Justice is a big word in our society. We've just seen what's happened in America with the Black Lives Matter and the policeman that has now been convicted of murder. And and people want justice. But we don't think of that in terms of eternity. That actually justice is needed in eternity. Those who've turned away from God, who have turned their back on God, the eternal fire of hell and uh, is what awaits them. And so the first motivating point is this. People are going to hell. An eternity without God and without hope. But the next bit of the parables is all about finding. And uh, in Luke 15.3 it says this. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others? You realise that he didn't leave them on their own. They used to have groups of shepherds, left them with some other people. I often think to myself, I need to have them looked after as well. But the reality is he wanted to go for the lost one. And it says this, he'll go into the wilderness and search for the one that's lost until he finds it. Until he finds it. And then the, the woman, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Never giving up. Never giving up until the lost sheep is found. Never giving up until the coin is found. This is the heart of our God. Our God does not want anybody to perish. Our God is, doesn't want anybody to spend eternity in hell. And then this lovely parable that we didn't read, but many of us know about the lost son. And it says this, So as this son was returning home, and still a long way off, his father saw him come in. And you get this picture of a father. How did he see his son coming a long way off? You get the kind of imagery that every day he probably went to the edge of the village to look out for his son. It's like every day he prayed for his son to come back. The ignominy, the embarrassment of an elder statesman walking through a village, everybody knowing what he's doing, looking out for the son that wanted him dead, looking out for the son who took the inheritance before his allotted time. But he's still there looking. And as he sees him in the distance, he's looking out. This is our God. Looking out, wanting people to be saved, not wanting people to perish. This is the gospel. The the eternal one, the holy one, the perfect creator of heaven and earth became a person, became Jesus, hung out with notorious sinners, but just didn't hang out with them. Eventually paid the debt See, there was a debt. There was a price to be paid for them not to go to hell. 
And that price was a perfect one, to die in their place. He came to seek and save the lost. It is finished, he cried out to God. When he took the punishment of hell, it's like he, he experienced hell. Separation from the living, holy God. He came to seek and save the lost. What a wonderful saviour. What a wonderful gospel. That Jesus loves the world so much. That God loved the world so much. And so C.T. Studd, who lived at the end of the 19th century, a rich guy, brilliant scholar, brilliant cricketer, basically got saved under, uh, I think it was Moody's ministry, and uh, felt God call him to be a missionary, gave all his money away, and then became a missionary in India, China, and Africa. Remarkable man. He said this, Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I'll just say that again. Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. We all want to be in the company of believers. We all want the fellowship. We're all looking forward to when we take the masks off, we can sing, we can barbecue, we can drink together, eat together. We, we all want that. It's not bad. But what Stud was saying is this, I want to run a rescue ship within the yard of hell. He understood that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And then the third motivator, if hell and seeking and saving the lost, the third is there's going to be a massive celebration. It says this, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call all his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What a remarkable thing. He's getting a party on earth and there's a bigger one going on in heaven. And then the lady, when she finds a coin, does she not call her friends and neighbours and say, rejoice with me because I found the lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel when even one sinner repents. You know, there's a sinner repenting virtually every moment around the world. Have you understood this? There's a constant party in heaven. The angels can't stop because somebody else is getting saved. It's like, wow, there's another, and there's another. One in Indonesia, one in Africa, one in Asia, 10 in Europe, 20 in America, thousands in China, Alaska, Greenland. There's just people getting saved all the time. Heaven is full of a massive rejoicing, whole host of heaven. It's constant. It's constant because the lost are being found. And they said, Jesus, your death has done miracles. Jesus, what you did 
has just profound effect. That story that, of the prodigal son. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring on his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. <laughs> Give me a picture of a fabulous celebration next year i'm 66 and uh, some of you may think you don't look it and some of you may think i thought you were that a few years ago just it's all, all in the eyes of the beholder i can tell you but when i was 50 years old i was in america and uh, actually i was preaching like this and i suddenly thought you know what when i just before i was 50 i'd love a hog roast so i just mentioned it in a preach and lo and behold, when I was 50 year old, we had this big, big garden, 150 acre garden. Everything's big in America. And uh, there, get home, and a trailer comes into the garden. And uh, with a big um, oh, a jeep or something pulling it. And this trailer is on fire. I always got, it's, a, it's, it's a barbecue on wheels. And they have been cooking for hours, this hog roast. So they did it somewhere else. In America, could you imagine coming down the high street of Levenshoom? <laughs> a barbecue on wheels. I mean, unbelievable, isn't it? But that's America. This is. But it was fantastic. You know, as I was thinking of this sermon, I was thinking 66. That's when you retire these days, or at least you get your pension. I think, wouldn't it be great? I was thinking, if we had barbecues all around the edge of the Lady Bon kind of out of perimeter, and we had a barbecue for every nation that's represented in CCM, and then we cooked the food of every nation of CCM. Next May it is coming. Just get it in your diary. And then there's wine from every nation. And non-wine if you don't, if you're not a... Wouldn't it be great? You know, I said to Andy a couple of days ago, do you think that'll be allowed? He said, of course. <laughs> so this, I, I said to Mary on the way out, I, she didn't know I was going to say that. I said, I might, I might talk about my birthday next year. So she rolled her eyes a bit. I think she thinks, oh, what's coming? Well, this is it. And so that's going to happen. But I just wanted to get the feel like that is going to be kind of pathetic compared with what's going to happen on that great and glorious day when Jesus comes again. And people from every tribe and nation are there celebrating with the angels, everybody that's been saved, Jesus the host, Fine wine, fine food. It's going to be glorious. That's a motivator. We want loads of people caught up with the angels celebrating now, but on that great and final day. <laughs> Not just a small thing in the 
back of a lady barn, but something that's heaven and earth. You know, hell is there for the lost. It's the result of sin. It's the result of turning away from the living God. But we have a saviour. We have a saviour who seeks and saves the lost. And we have a saviour that's preparing a banquet. (laughs) Preparing a banquet for the party of all parties. (laughs) The celebration of all celebrations. When those who were lost are now gathered together with the whole company of heaven celebrating the king of the universe, Jesus, the saviour of the world. Isn't that going to be great? I want to finish just as I started. Have you not heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the earth. He never grows weary. Or we. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall from exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high like winged eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Let's never give up. <laughs>